Welcome to the Hired Geek Podcast. I'm Dustin Ramsdell, and every week I'm having conversations with influential hired leaders about the work they're doing, the impact they're making, and how you too can better implement technology to support student success. Well, our conversation today is a rare treat. I honestly kind of surprised I don't have more people on to, you know, return to the show after their initial interview, but this will be kind of a fun revisiting, sort of updating what's been happening over the past couple of years and just continuing to examine this moment for higher education, digital transformation, and looking towards the horizon for sort of all the opportunities and potential and kind of work to be done to reach kind of the the goals that institutions have to better serve their students with their digital infrastructure and uh, all that. So uh, we will start, uh, Sharon, if you want to give a brief introduction of yourself and background. So we did talk a few years ago, so we'll certainly uh, point people towards that episode as well. But it's been a little while. So yeah, just give a brief introduction and then we'll get on to the rest of the, uh, our conversation here. Great. Great to be back. My name is Sharon Butler. I am the executive vice president at Flywire. I run the education company Vertical, which is a global vertical. I have teams all over the world. And what's, I guess, interesting about me is that I was one of the founding members. So I've been on this journey for 12 years. It was just myself and a couple of people way back when. And now we serve over, just in education alone, 3,100 clients across many countries. And we're also serving 2 million plus students. And so it's been an incredible journey. And Flywire, for those of you that don't know, we're a global payments enablement software company. So essentially, we help our institutions get paid and we help their students pay with ease, if I was going to simplify it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to try to see, like, is there a way that you could, like, just do it in a nutshell? And I think that is a perfect, (laughs) succinct way to put it. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, what I love about, you know, doing this show and talking to so many people is that there's obviously so many kind of different components that need to sort of plug into higher institutions to kind of modernize and make everything easier to use. And, yeah, like you said, you're sort of serving both, you know, the institution's goals and the student's goals. And it's always like a beautiful thing when you're sort of at that nexus point to make both of their lives easier and just leave them both, you know, more satisfied. So, you know, I guess, are there any, last time we spoke, the episode came out June, 2020. So that was a interesting point in time in, in history of the world. I, I'm sure there's maybe some nice milestones that Flywire has achieved since then. So just any cool things that you want to mention of like what's been happening at Flywire since we last spoke. Oh my goodness. Like, where do we start? It, you know, it's like amazing. I always say to people, you, you know, you never know what the future holds. One thing with Flywire, we spent a ton of time. We're so focused to listening to our clients and delivering and trying to solve to make to really focus on that payer experience and really focus on how we can help unlock the potential for the institution. So with that focus, we have expanded in so many ways, not only organically, but inorganically. So let's just go through the list in general. We're not just doing international payments anymore. We are also doing our full software layer where we can bill, help students plan and help them pay. So there's an entire software layer that we can unlock our institutions that are resource constrained. We acquired a company called WPM in the UK who had basically a consulting group that was had a gateway to help take payments, but we sort of saw them as a really nice fit, same culture. So we acquired them and now we're serving 
you know, a huge percentage of the institutions in the UK and trying to help modernize them because they are going through some digital transformations over there. And then we acquired a company out in Brisbane, Australia called Cohort Go. And that was a really exciting time because we are also focused to helping institutions acquire students. And there's a really important stakeholder at play there, which is the international student, international agents that in countries like China and India and Vietnam, families look for help and guidance and advice on how do I send my student, my child to a school in other countries. And so they are very, very valued in those markets and they help shepherd students through the process of applying, getting the visas and also figuring out what institutions to go to and all that. So that company we've acquired so we could sort of plug in higher in the value chain for institutions to really have feet on the ground in those markets, just to kind of help better serve our clients in general. And then the the main thing that was a big change is that we went uh, public. We're now a publicly traded company. Um, it's been two years. I uh, May 26th. On my son's 17th birthday, we took this company public. And as a founding member, it was sort of like an incredibly emotional time as well, because, you know, you put a lot of effort, you have to put a lot of yourself into a company. And I, I remember putting a LinkedIn post, like it was like, I have two boys and I feel like this was the daughter I never had <laughs> because, you know, that's how much effort you have to put into making this happen. And um, honestly, you know, working at Flywire, even as a public company, what I love most is that we are vertical experts. So I run a division that is laser focused on education, helping drive value, innovation, and really helping students. So you can see there's been a lot. There's been a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, an eventful couple of years here. And yeah, I mean, congrats on the, the IPO and just sort of building out sort of the whole uh, organization there. Because I think it, yeah, it's really interesting where, you know, the financial component obviously is a big point of anxiety and worry, you know, as students are considering their options in higher education. So if you can kind of like, you know, one, on one hand, better understand those concerns, but also try to like, yeah, just kind of guide students along to get towards the institutions and not have it sort of fall apart you know, when they're ready to sort of make a deposit or make a payment or, you know, set up a payment plan or whatever else it might be. It'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out over time as sort of everything kind of starts to integrate with one another. But we're going to be kind of talking, I guess, like, certainly, you know, it's going to be based on sort of your observations and your experience, the way that you work with institutions. But at the core of it, I feel like will be some really helpful anecdotes for other folks just navigating this moment of digital transformation that's continuing to play out. Uh, and again, in, in kind of a lot of different ways and different facets of institutions. But what is your perspective on, you know, institutions updating legacy systems? Because I think we're at this point where they might have done something back in like the 90s or the early 2000s of like some sort of like digital, you know, if it is like a payment portal or anything else, like they're updating legacy systems. It might be stuff that's like, you know, on premise and not in the cloud or whatever else. But like your perspective on why it is important at this moment to update legacy systems and how institutions you feel like should be navigating this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm actually really fortunate to work with David King, who is our CTO. And Dave is the, he actually, his fame to claim is he digitized the first 
payments platform in education. So think about the U.S. There was a time where you actually couldn't pay online and a lot of checks and things of that nature. And Dave created a gateway. And so we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what has to happen in higher education. If you think about, you mentioned 90s, 2000s, the big, the last big trigger point was Y2K, right? That's when there was a massive redo of like looking at technology because of the pressure of this whole, hey, if we don't get it done. And so these transformation projects had to start like three years before the Y2K scare. And not a lot has been done since then. So what you see across the landscape is there's a lot of on-premise student information systems, right? And so when you have a legacy system that has been around for many, many years, and you've plugged it into a lot of things and leveraged it as much as you possibly can, that actually requires so much IT resource even to maintain it. And what you see, it's con- you have that converging with the fact that there isn't a lot of resource on campus right now in terms of the business offices, IT offices. So not only is it important to look at and really start to focus on the transformation from like move number one, get off the premise into the cloud, right? Because if you move that the technology into the cloud, it means there's a lot less pressure on the on-premise resources like IT. And like, so you see this and then the institution, the IT, the business people can now focus more on the problems that exist within the landscape, which is you need to focus more, more, put more investment in technology and whatnot into like, how do we attract students? How do we engage with them? And how do we retain them? And so those are sort of really, they need, they need, if they can figure that stuff out, they can really start to add more value, right? So I talk about it a lot because one of the things about the platform that we built to serve institutions, and we have a software layer that can help institutions build, plan, pay. And when you build something like that, and it's new, right? It's, I think we've, we've had it for, say, we launched it probably six years ago, and we've already reskinned the whole thing because that's our flexibility that we have. But when we built it, because of the knowledge of the industry, we built it to help institutions move. Like you could lay this software layer down now and start creating these better experience for students, more flexibility and helping them figure out how to pay. And on-prem, and then when it moves to the cloud, it can still work. And we had to like think about that. We, we had to put a lot more investment in that out of the gate because, because of the history that if you build something for this on-prem only thing right now, like you and you and resources are tight. It's like, no, build something that can work with what they have now, but transform with them into the future. And so I feel fortunate to have Dave pre-think this whole thing. <laughs> but it's because I really there we all really see this need, like it just comes down to basic resources and functionality, right? And with these systems, um, I think 75% of institutions, someone gave me the stat. Have a have a system that's ten plus years old, but most of them are around twenty four years old and uh, twenty five years old. So it's hard to and you want to innovate and 
be flexible because I know one of the things we wanted to talk about is accessibility. And really accessibility really means affordability in many ways. And sometimes the most basic, hey, Dustin, I see you're having challenges. Let me help you do a, let's have an agreement on how we can make some kind of a payment agreement, right? And every school wants to do that. But to be able to, to do that is requires a resource, an interaction, a side note, and everything else. So it makes it really, really difficult to offer those kind of that kind of flexibility when your core system is not doesn't have it. So what, one of the things that you know you asked about um, accessibility and affordability, one of the best ways to help students get accessibility is to give them better ways to pay, right? So for the most part, they're borrowing, but there's other ways to, flexibility is really key there. Right, yeah, because I think, yeah, when you're updating a legacy system, like you said, it's like, you want to even have, like, it's just not in the equation where it's like, we can't we can't offer that flexibility or that accessibility, you know, and everything to a student that's just, you know, a non-starter and just being in a place where, like you said, like the the core system which like I've come to appreciate this much more, which is why I kind of like, you know, dropped it in there in my current day job of like, you know, dealing with kind of plugging into an existing tech stack at an institution where it's like on premise or in the cloud and, you know, why that matters and all that. So it's like, yeah, like you want, you know, everything to kind of play nice with each other. You want it to be flexible and dynamic and updating and all that. And just that, I guess it also takes less to maintain it. And, you know, if you're sort of looking for areas to kind of tighten your belt a bit. It's just like, okay, hopefully you would be in a place where you don't have to make this whole transition. Like you maybe had the foresight to, you know, start, start doing this work earlier. But uh, if not, it could be an area where it's like, okay, we have to put a little effort and investment in here now, but in the long term, it's going to sort of have a lot more, you know, return on investment and the explicit cost. But then there's all these other impacts of like what we're talking about, the accessibility, the affordability and, all of that. So I think I definitely wanted to spend some time talking specifically about that, the accessibility, the affordability, like how you see the work you do kind of improving and impacting in that way. Because I think, yeah, it's one important component of, you know, getting students to be able to access higher education is making it more, making the kind of payment process and just, you know, the business of being a student you know, easier to navigate and everything. So yeah, if you want to just speak to yeah. that a little bit. Well, I think that there's, there's a couple of things, right? We talked about this, this enrollment cliff that's happening. So it's not just about accessibility. It's also about retention, right? But the tools are the really the same in many ways because you lose a student. Some t- a lot of times institutions lose students because they just miss the fact that they kind of fell behind and they didn't have the tools to catch them before they fell or to get them in some kind of repayment mode. So with regard to accessibility, the software layer that we built and how we went about it is because we were in education, we know that there's payment plans that exist, right? But they're, they aren't always as, as flexible. A payment plan is not unique. But if I have students that are coming in and they need to figure out, like, maybe they don't want to borrow as much. Maybe they need to to figure out how they can stretch that payment out. And it's like, 
our job is to enable the school to have those tools to do it, right? So that's really where I see, at least from the software layer and how it can help, is from better ways for students to pay. I'll give you a couple of examples too on how flexibility is key to even retention. It is pretty common that a student might come in and say, okay, I can afford this and here we go. And then suddenly they get a few fees and whatnot, and then they have a balance. And because it's a, you know, a system that's just has rules that said, oh, if someone has more than this on balance, don't let them enroll in their classes. But then maybe there's a note or an email or something that goes out that says, hey, you're blocked. You need to pay. Now, with this enrollment cliff coming towards institutions, like the key business levers they have, number one is retain, right? Which, by the way, there should be better ways to do that to begin with. But any student that doesn't re-enroll, many times you, they're always in their mind expecting to come back. But because of the way the in some of the institutions operate, they don't make that easy because you usually then there's a rule that if there is a collection and it's past due after so much time, then it goes out to an external collection, right? And now you've got a, a collection company calling the student that fell behind but had always intended to go back, right? So and then then and they also have debt. It's, it's kind of a sad story, right? When you think about that. So as like as being sort of dedicated education people and having someone like Dave, sort of like, hey, how can we help an institution catch the students before they fall and 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 use software to see that happen and then use software to communicate out, hey, Dustin, we see you fell behind. Here's some options and actually offer right at the gate. And then and take away the awkwardness and embarrassment of it all, even, because usually it's like, come in the office and talk to me. And then they can accept a, a solution to their problem. That's one thing. And that's really, we're seeing a tremendous impact on it. And I think even in technology, that, you know, how the, it actually communicates out, sometimes things are functioning, like, oh, I'm doing a payment plan. Oh, I'm sending a bill oh, I'm sending an email to let students know this thing is happening. But because it's not really built for today, not really communicating to the students the way they're used to, like there's just this big um, gap that's opening wider and wider in education that the student today is very different from the student 25 years ago, right? And so it's, it's we, this is where you see software companies like Flywire coming in to try to help that solve that. So one thing about payment plans in general, though, it's the awareness that they exist, right? Some people don't even know that. They don't know it until they get their bill. And so maybe people could be planning ahead saying, hey, we don't have to borrow this much. We can afford 500 a month or 1000 a month. And that really means we'll save this much in the long run. And then even when they are, maybe, you know, they, they get into a situation, but dad or mom is getting a bonus. Like to be able to leverage software to customize something for the individual, but not put the weight on the school to manage it is really sort of where the software innovation comes into play. That's going to really solve a lot of challenges. So to give you, uh, and also 
I, I really good software and adding that layer even to this legacy infrastructure that exists is like the way to kind of have this space of a more modernized stack, right? That because this feels like no matter what ugly things are happening behind the scenes. Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting constantly confused by all the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction and even worse, melt. You knew this would happen again, which is why you've been flagging the need for a come to Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing admissions and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's the problem. You're not going to convince Mark from marketing to let go of his automation software. Adriana from admissions just got set up with her new CRM. And Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. What if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Well, my friend, guess what? Today's your lucky day. Meet Pathify, an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, being the single user experience interface tying together all systems, content, and communications. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes systems like the SIS behind the scenes where they belong, making it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their higher ed journey, from prospect to alumni. What's even better, Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with the responsive web app, so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus, from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT, etc., can get equally excited about. Learn more about how Pathify is uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com. And be sure to tell them that Dustin from Hired Geek sent you their way. I'm seeing a lot of really kind of smart angles because it's like, you know, these venerable institutions of higher education that have been around a long time. Like, yeah, they might have this solution that they think is fine and it may be fine. Yeah, they implemented 25, 30 years ago or something. And it could be like, cool, all right, keep that. We know it'd be kind of a pain to, you know, move on from that at this moment. How about we put that like more modern front layer, you know, on top of your SIS or whatever else. And I think that's like a a great sort of, you know, point to kind of keep kind of hammering down on because it, it, you kind of alluded to it earlier of like that, you know, if you're making sort of a on-prem to cloud like transition or something, it's like if you get something that kind of provides like continuity and then like the students don't even know maybe that something has changed behind the scenes or they, they just get like, a, hey, we're doing a little maintenance on the system and like whatever. Like it's not this like, you know, seismic shift that is just sort of like disrupting everything. So like those being really good and good points where like, just on principle for how leaders are navigating digital transformation, but then at the core of it, access is about like getting in the door, but then also kind of like staying in. I like that you kind of were alluding a little bit more to like retention because it's like, yeah, it's not like a static thing. Like students' lives are going to change where it's like, you know, they get a job or their parents change jobs or, you know, yeah, they're taking more or less credits or they were living on and then they're living off and all that, like that equation of how they're interfacing with, you know, how am I going to afford my classes this semester is going to change. So they might be like, well, I needed it. I needed a payment plan before, but now I don't. Now I do again, or I want to change the payment plan of like, you know, whatever amount or something. So like, and the idea too, that it sounds like, you know, that they can navigate this to an extent through sort of like self-service and maybe, you know, yeah, like do it 
on their phone or their tablet or whatever else. And then maybe like make a payment through Apple Pay or whatever, you know, like any of these sort of things are all the ways that you can start to kind of like figure out how you kind of want to evolve and modernize and do all this because it's there's just so many aspects to try to like you said like catch people offer them options make them aware deliver that information in a modality that's going to be sort of engaging and actually get a response versus just relying on like well you have to come into the office during business hours during the week to talk to a human being to you know know what's possible and because i'm even thinking of just like i mean there's dynamics of like if uh, institutions have like emergency funds and like just the idea that like the institution can at least get into the mindset of like how can we present to students you could either go on a payment plan or you could do this or that or we do have like emergency funding to p- help pay that $500 fee that you forgot because it posted late or what it, like and if that's the one barrier to you persisting we are happy to give you a one-time grant to like cover that but it's just they obviously the institution knows what their options are but you're creating that layer that allows them to deliver because that that's something that I've, I've started to realize is like institutions have all these support resources that sometimes are underutilized, but they're not delivering the information in a modality or on a platform that's, you know, engaging and relevant to the students. So that's like half the battle is like, how are you getting the information to the students? Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. Like there is the need, the interest, the need, it's just, sort of the resource constraint or the technology constraint that can get in the way of making that happen. I mean, we have really interesting statistics. I think about Texas A&M, um, we went through a transformation with them, We're adding the software layer. Like, this is why I always say do more with less. Like adding a software layer we, and this engagement piece, reduce their inbound phone calls by in emails by about 50%. So that alone is like, okay, we can breathe now. They used to hire like 15 temps during like a certain season, right? And and then you see payment plan enrollment go up by 40%. What does that tell you? Like, oh, being able to engage, create the awareness, the flexibility and the options. Well, that that feels like accessibility to me, like making it easier on people. So you feel like, I feel like the numbers make you feel like it is working as well. And that's simply just automation. Is that it? That's it. It's automation that is game changing. So it's really about, I don't know, I guess making the wish list of everything you would like to do to help a student and figuring out like, well, how can you do that by waiting for your big transformation (laughs) to happen in the background? Now, the systems that are out there, PeopleSoft, Illusion Banner, and Workday. And I remember Workday coming into the market. It's like, whoa, it's cloud. But now your people soft and your banners have cloud-based solutions too. So, you know, maybe even that approach isn't so scary. But at the same time, I think it's really about really starting to invest in in trying to help not just domestic students, but international students have that better experience. And some people might say, this is just payments, right? Who cares? But that's the big payments are the big, how do you get the student in the seat? And how, you know, to afford it, how do you attract a student even from other countries? And then once they're in there, how are you going to keep them? And unless you want to keep investing in lots and lots of people doing things, it's which isn't scalable and no one has the money for it. The, you know, institutions really do have to look at transforming how they operate. And, and I really believe, you know, software adds the value 
and the automation that can be game changing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, efficiency is definitely going to be the name of the game for institutions because I think, you know, with like pandemic era related funding and just a competitive marketplace and everything, like it's just going to be, you have to be efficient and still providing high quality experiences for students and everything. And I like too that you kind of mentioned about like if a student like stops out and they have this intention to return, like you'd want to sort of be able to make that, you know, their transition back to the institution as easy as possible. Because I remember working with students as a coach, like that was a very common reason why a student would stop out and was the barrier to that. Like they earnestly, like you said, like they'll stop out with the intention of coming back. And then when they earnestly are like, cool, I'm ready to go. It was just this like, you know, kind of antiquated payment platform and like limited options in terms of being able to at least just sort of have a window of opportunity to register. And it's like, okay, it's a real thing. I'm going to be back in class as of, you know, next semester. It's not this sort of theoretical, well, I don't want to go back. I don't know when, how, and whatever. So all those sort of things, because I think they're important aspects of you're sort of teeing me up perfectly for the next question here of like, you know, yeah, like we're entering into a period of time, a, you know, very complex, increasingly international and competitive marketplace for institutions. So you do have to be able to show your value and be able to, you know, because you could market all day long and get a lot of interested students who are applying and all that sort of thing. But then again, it would either fall apart when they're trying to navigate the payment process or better understand the actual cost and, you know, plan for that and all, all those sort of things. So I guess just as you're looking ahead to the future, like what do you see on the horizon for institutions as they're navigating this complex international competitive marketplace? I, I, I believe that institutions need to start thinking more about um, engagement with students that are already on campus or even, you know, thinking about once they do all that hard work to land them, how are they going to keep them engaged? And just even checking these these boxes of like, make sure we have some flexibility with regard to payments because life changes, right? And so really at least put a lens to that. And although there's meetings, look at your technology. And with regard to international students, I mean, it's very competitive out there for students now. I mean, I have the view of the globe. And so you have, you know, international students coming from, you know, the three key markets are China, India, and Vietnam. But we also start to see institutions they need to start to diversify a little bit more on their recruitment strategies and also the competitive nature of international students. They go to lots of international students go to Canada now, UK, Australia, is you need to be, you know, typically we haven't looked at the international student as offering any flexibility to them, but now we have to start thinking that way as well. So it would be like, oh, they're great. They pay in full and, and they're good. You know, they're really good for it. But it's time to also look at that population, make sure they're getting as good of experience as your students. And, and that mean, and, you know, means flexible options. And also, I know the one big thing that we solve is we talk, I talk about software, but also be able to have the conversation as well. And, you know, or even just be able to someone to answer a phone or receive an email during their business hours, right? Like serving the family is very difficult for an institution. They don't speak all the different languages, particularly when you need to communicate with the family. So being able to have that kind of service that when someone's writing a big check for $50,000, $60,000, sometimes they just need 
be able to talk to someone. And so we invest so much money in that, which obviously, obviously, you know, that's a big investment for a company. But we realize it's so important because there's just no one there on campus. So the you know, hopefully we get to a point where software is so great, no one has a question. But a lot of times there's still questions that happen. And it's just something for institutions to think about, right? Better experience the students. Yeah, I mean, it that sort of supplementary kind of, you know, offering or service or sort of support that you're mentioning, I think is like, really awesome because it is that idea where it's like again okay institution like you can still operate more or less like how you have been to maybe more serve like your time zone at least and your like local area and those sort of things like but let it like if this is an area that you want to pursue then we can sort of help be kind of supplement to that but it, it definitely like makes me think a lot where i just keep sort of beating the drum and sort of shouting from the mountaintops of like institutions having to think in kind of a digital first mindset because obviously like if they were solely doing what they were doing before and being like, yeah, I'm sure we could just recruit, you know, international students. And it's like, there's so many dynamics, even going to just that sort of like, like you said, like, hopefully we know everything is pretty clear and all that. Like you still need to be able to kind of reassure people. Like it is just like, it's a big investment. It's a big emotional decision about like going to college and all that. So it's like, how are we going to be available to those people who may be halfway around the world in their time zone and their language and, you know, different things like that. So like, you know, that you can, just try to leverage things to sort of supplement what you're doing, uh, you know, and yeah, so they, it's just a really important for institutions. And again, that digital first mindset would have applications, certainly in this sort of international, international student engagement, recruitment and support and everything, but it's kind of a day-to-day mindset of just how you're making decisions about, yeah, the, the investments that you're making as an institution and your, you know, kind of infrastructure and systems and all this good stuff. So, we will end, though, as we always do, give you the floor for a final thought, call to action, wrapping everything up as folks are finishing up this episode here. Yeah, just what do you, what do you want to share about our, our conversation today? Yeah, I've, I've spent a great opportunity to talk about this stuff. I feel like even with your wrapping up on some of the stuff we said, it's like all of the technology, all of the innovation, you know, all of the stuff that's available today and even the stuff we focus on. At the end of the day, it's about a better student experience, right? Like that's what, you know, this is what families are paying for. They want a great experience. They want a great education experience. And institutions are, I think sometimes the investment, the work that has to happen for change, it can seem overwhelming. But I feel like if the North Star is really, what is that experience for the student that you're trying to serve? I feel like if we keep that at top of mind, when these transformation or investment conversations happen, then I, I think we it's a, it's a really good place to keep their eye on in order to like think about how should they change and what should they invest in. Right, because I think, you know, when they were maybe making that decision 30 years ago, they were kind of thinking about like, what do we need to serve our needs and to sort of just, you know, whatever. So it's like, and you're going to know that that's going to be just sort of, you know, the reflex of sort of like, okay, what's my job like? What's going to help make my job easier? So it is an idea of like putting in that intentional effort and energy and maybe solicit the feedback, get focused, whatever it has to be to keep, yeah, the student experience top of mind from 
you know, a prospect all the way through to when they graduate and everything. Cause it's, yeah, it's, what's the journey, right? What's the student journey and what's the experience in the journey. And if you're doing that, then you're going to be very focused. You're going to be plugged into uh, your ability to attract them and to retain them. Right. So I think that feels to me like the right thing to focus on. Absolutely. Well, that is a, a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Sharon, for hanging out and sharing all you did. And we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and uh, Flywire so folks can uh, see more of what you all are up to. But just, uh, yeah, appreciate you so much and all the great work that uh, you and your team are doing. Thank you, Dustin. Great times. Talk to you later. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.